you, Valerie. Let's all open our songbooks to number 542. There is sunshine in my soul. And I hope you can sing it either way, whether there is or is not. But let's sing it together. There is sunshine in my soul, 542. Sunshine in my soul today, more glorious and bright than glows in any earthly sky. For Jesus is my light. Oh, there's sunshine, blessed sunshine, when the peaceful, happy moments roll. sunshine in my soul. There is music in my soul today, a carol to the King. And Jesus listening can hear the songs I cannot sing. Oh, there's sunshine, blessed sun. Sunshine, when the peaceful, happy moments roll, when Jesus shows his smiling face, there is sunshine in my soul. There is music in my soul today, for when my Lord is near, dove of peace sings in my heart. The flowers of grace appear. Oh, there's sunshine, blessed sunshine, when the peaceful, happy moments roll. When Jesus shows his smiling face, there is sunshine in my soul. There is gladness in my soul today, and hope and praise and love for blessings which He gives me now, for joys laid up above. Oh, there's sunshine, blessed sunshine, when the peaceful, happy moments roll. There is sunshine in my soul. Thank you, everyone, for singing out today. I enjoy hearing that as well as the visiting. It's good to have Dean and his family with us again today. And welcome, everybody. Josh, open your songbooks to number 143, Be Thou My Vision. Joshua, please lead us in 143, Be Thou My Vision. Say 
not by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Thou my wisdom and thou my true word, I ever with thee and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling and I with thee one. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and Thou only first in my heart. Thou King of heaven, my treasure Thou art. High King of heaven, Thy victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God and open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 3 and follow along as Tom reads verses 29 to 35. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Tom. Devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. Strive not with a man without cause, if he hath done thee no harm. Envy thou not the opposer, and choose none of his ways. For the forward is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blessed the habitation of the just. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he give grace unto the lowly. Amen. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. Amen. You may be seated. Open your songbooks to close to the number 408. 408. time. Now my everlasting portion, more than friend or life to me, all along my pilgrim journey, Savior, let me walk with Thee, close to Thee, close to Thee, close to Thee. Close to thee, 
All along my pilgrim journey, Savior, let me walk with Thee. Not for ease or worldly pleasure, nor for fame my prayer shall be. Gladly will I toil and suffer, only let me walk with Thee. Close to Thee, close to Thee, close to Thee, close to Thee. Gladly will I toil and suffer, only let me walk with Thee. Lead me through the veil of shadows, bear me o'er life's fitful sea. Through the gate of life eternal, may I enter, Lord, with Thee. Close to Thee, close to Thee, close to Thee, close to Thee. Through the gate of life eternal, may I enter, Lord, with Thee. We will continue today with our series in James, and so you may open your Bible to James chapter 4. We finished up chapter 3 last week, and we'll be diving into the content of James chapter 4 today. I'll read the first eight verses, and then we'll pray. Go to now, ye rich... I'm sorry... First eight verses of James chapter 4. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. O Heavenly Father, as we consider this portion of your word together, we realize that it tells us many troubles that we have within us as sin-flawed human beings that cause trouble not just for us inwardly and individually, but it affects other people as well, including families and churches. Father God, I ask you that the solutions to at the end of this these eight verses that we just read, we would make part of our lives and, and that we would honor you and not face the turmoil that often we bring upon ourselves. But Father God, I ask you that 
we would draw closer to you and please you and honor you and enjoy you from this day forward. For your honor and glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. James asked these Christian brothers and sisters in James chapter 4 that he was writing to a simple but hard question. If I can put it in my own words, it would be, why are you quarreling and fighting among yourselves? Do Christians get into spats? Sure, Christians get into spats. Are there quarrels and fightings among God's people? Yes. Do many churches have internal conflicts that are blown out of proportion? Yeah, they do. We need to be praying for those churches and praying that God will spare us from that. Actively praying where we make it part of our lives Um, are there churches around the world and even here in America that are struggling and declining because of wars and fightings? Sure, churches do decline. George Gallup of the Gallup Poll often publishes poll findings which show that the state of the Christian involvement in their churches are on the decline in America. And of course, Gallup, his approach is secular. What about George Barna? supposedly a Christian group, and publishing polls from a Christian perspective, they say, and many of their conclusions, also show a drastic decline of Christianity in the United States of America. For example, only 42% of Americans polled said that Easter has to do with the resurrection of Christ. Only 42% of Americans The Harris Poll in October of 2006, so quite a while back now, of course, showed that about 50% of Americans are unsure if God even exists. 50% of Americans. What is even more astounding is the Barna Group shows recently that among Americans who claim to be Christians, only half believe that the Bible is inspired of God and true. Only half of... Christians, according to the Barna Group. So the state of Christianity and the Bible-believing churches have been affected by our country and have affected our country. As the church slides backwards, so does America. Really, as the church slides backwards, so does America. Elmer Town says that the average church in America only has 87 in Sunday school attendance. Woodrow Kroll has written that in 1900, there were 27 churches for every 10,000 Americans. And now, there are less than 12 churches for every 10,000 people. A 56% decline in the last 100 years plus. Focus on Missions published way back in 1987 that between 3,500 and 4,000 churches closed their doors each year in the United States. Clearly, the number of biblically sound churches in America are both declining in number and losing influence on our nation. I'm glad that Valley Baptist Church is, by God's grace, developing, and yet we need 
to be active in America, rechurching North America, and that's one of the reasons that Continental Baptist Missions is an active, inactive existence, and several of you have been exposed to Baptist Mid-Missions and other mission agencies that recognize the need. Pray for more laborers in the harvest field. The harvest is ripe, dear friend. Jesus said it years, centuries ago, and yet it's even seemingly more so today. But a factor in the decline is, as it was in James' day, the struggles and the battles and the squabblings and the wars and fightings, most of which are petty and unnecessary, that Christians participate in, even in some good churches. People have become, may I even venture this, some real Christians have become discouraged, disillusioned, despondent and discontent and lose their walk with Christ because of these things. In our passage today, James has presented four characteristics of those who are discontent and cause disputing among Christians. I've chosen to alliterate this beginning with the letter I. It's one of the hardest letters in the alphabet to alliterate with, but here we go. These characteristics are number one, inordinate desires. Verses one and two say, go to now. I'm sorry, I skipped to chapter five. Verses one and two of chapter four say, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members, in yourself? Uh, even Christians tend to have selfish desires inordinate desires, those desires that are disorderly, excessive, not limited to rules or usual bounds, those things that lead to our own lusts, James says. The word is hedone, and it means to please, sensual or fleshly delight. To emphasize this, James uses a different word, translated lust, in verse 2. It is epithumio, and it is to set the heart upon, or to long for, or to covet, or desire after something. The last of the Ten Commandments clearly states, Thou shalt not covet. We know that. Yet, this is the one that drives people to break all the other Ten Commandments, is the one about coveting. It was her inordinate, selfish desire that drove Eve to sin against God in Eden. It was Adam's fleshly desires that led him and all mankind into sin. Romans 5.12 tells us that by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death is passed upon all men for that all have sinned. It was inordinate desires that caused Achan to keep some gold and some other spoil from Jericho when God defeated Jericho, but he also told them not to keep anything. Achan did, and his sin cast, cost many lives in the battle with Ai, Joshua chapter 7, and it cost Achan and his family their lives too because of his inordinate desire. Oh, how true Isaiah 53 verse 6 is. 
we have turned everyone to his own way, haven't we? Ye lust and have not, James 4.2 says. When a person has in his heart to ever, or to even covet the things of this world, the awful truth is this. One thing leads to another. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You know, whether some back in James' day had gone so far as to commit murder, we're not sure. That is what the Greek word means, is to commit murder. Or had a murderous disposition or spirit, we're not told. However, covetousness can take a person that far. It can. Many have been murdered because of a coveting heart in someone else. It was their inordinate, selfish, covetous desire that led King David to murder Uriah. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, yes, inordinate desires can lead a person to violate any or all of God's moral law. Habakkuk said or warns about the evil of inordinate desires. Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. And so the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Mortify therefore, that means put to death, your members which are upon earth, fornication and uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. People who are at war within themselves will also war on the outside when we are discontent with what we have, having selfish desires, we are never joyful. And James is writing to his Christian countrymen to correct some problems that they might gain joy. You remember what Hebrews 13, verse 5, starts out with? And be content with such things as ye have. Remember? The second characteristic of discontentment is, here's another letter I, indolent prayers. Indolent prayers. I chose the word indolent for two reasons. The less important is the acrostic, but the main reason is the meaning of the word. It means dull, idle, ineffective, inert, several other I's in there, Habitually idle or indisposed to labor. It means lazy or listless. Indolent prayers. In James' day and in our day, many Christians are discontent because they are lazy, indolent in prayer. They don't have that connection with God that they really have the right to because they're lazy. They choose not to exercise their prayers, their prayer time with the Lord. Christians in many good churches around our land are habitually idle or indisposed to labor and prayer. James says that is why they're discontent in our passage. Then in verse 3, which says, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. 
he presents the other side of that same coin. Sometimes Christians will use prayer as a cloak to hide their true desires. But I prayed about it, some people say, can be one of the biggest excuses a Christian can use. But I prayed about it. Hmm. Instead of seeking God's will, they tell God what he is supposed to do. And then, of course, they face discontentment because when he doesn't answer what they want, they get angry at him. And this anger at God eventually spills over and they get angry at God's people, too. More than one church split has been caused by members who take out their frustrations with God on others in the church. Many families have been damaged when one member lashes out at others when the real problem is an inner battle and discontentment with God. So how is your prayer life? How is my prayer life? Do you ever have one? (laughs) I hope so. Maybe a challenge here is, why don't you before God determine to add a certain number of dimes to the dime jar over there? That dime jar is, the idea is, each dime represents 10 minutes alone with God in prayer. Or 10 minutes alone with God in his word. And you can combine the two. But each 10 minutes, we represent by putting a dime in the jar. Let's see that jar fill up this year. It's not about the money. It's about the time with the Lord. Are your prayers amiss, as James says? Are mine amiss? How are our motives, is the idea here. The motives. Do you pray telling God what you want or asking according to his will? You remember what First John chapter 5 says. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. That leads to the opposite of discontentment. It leads to a joy and a confidence in God. This is the confidence that we have in him. He doesn't want us to be discontent. Let's exercise our prayer muscle, if you will. In James 4, verse 3, again, it says, Ask and ye, re- ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. The third characteristic of discontentment we find in verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy, is the enemy of God. So I, I put number three, infections. I'm sorry, infectious attractions. Infectious attractions. Another reason that some Christians are discontent is that they are attracted to the wrong places and the wrong people. Of course, by the world, James, that word cosmos, James was talking of this world system, human society, apart from God. Those things around us that are anti-Jesus Christ and anti-God go, let's, Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4 say, But if our gospel be hid, 
it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, this world system, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. (coughs) The God of this world there is ever active trying to attract you and me to this world and infect us with it. You see, dear Christian, if the devil can deceive you by attracting you to the things and the people in this world that would draw you away from God, he'll do it. And you will be discontent, you'll be frustrated, and deal with wars within and wars without. That's what James is writing about here. It is an infection, just as an infection starts in our physical bodies. Years ago, I was laying tile in a church building in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and I don't remember getting, I don't know, an open wound in my right hand, but I must have had one. I had them often laying tile. We do that. And some, the culture was staff and strep mixed, and I've not heard of that before, got into the bones of my right hand. And when it got, went that far, of course my hand became very thick, I started feeling weak and tired. It became systemic. And you understand the problem. That is what we're talking about here. Slowly, gradually advancing within you and me until you're infected throughout your body. So it is with this world. And Satan wants to get his darts into you without you knowing it. And once there's a port of entry, that's what my surgeon called it, you're infected. The beginning of that infection is an attraction. It could be through the eye gates or the ear gates or other ports of entry, and yet that becomes an infectious attraction that destroys even a Christian. And those who James were writing to were Christians, become friendly with the world. They become infected by it. And horror of horrors, dear Christian, friendship with the world is compared to adultery in that verse. You see, in Romans 7, verse 4, it tells us that the Christian is married to Jesus Christ. Believers are described as the bride of Christ throughout the New Testament. And as his bride, we must be faithful to him. Those Jewish believers that James wrote to would have understood this picture as spiritual adultery from Jeremiah chapter 3 or Ezekiel chapter 23 and the whole book of Hosea, the whole prophecy of Hosea, and adultery was punishable by death. They understood the seriousness of this and the friendship of this world is likened to spiritual adultery. In 1 John 2, verse 15, the Bible tells us, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Even Christians can be affected, and you lose your relationship 
in part with the Lord. I'm not saying you lose your salvation. That's not what's in view here. The fourth characteristic of discontentment is insolent vanity. Verses 5 and 6 say, Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. I chose the word insolent here again for its meaning. Insolent, me, insolent means to be brazen, <clears throat> to be disrespectful, or to be haughty, offensive, or swaggeringly arrogant, literally. You know, you and I have seen it in others. We've talked with someone who is insolent. And they stand with a proud look and their nose may go up in the air and the tone of their voice shows contempt for the rest of us who are beneath them. The words that they utter are boastful, condescending, and proud. In short, they're full of themselves. So in verse 5, James uses one of his rhetorical questions, a general truth from the Old Testament for he, does, he doesn't hear, quote, any specific Old Testament passage. The idea is that our natural spirit, Matt's spirit, or your spirit, our sinful nature is constantly lusting and envying after the desires of the flesh and the world. So he puts it this way. The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. And that, by the way, is an Old Testament principle found throughout. So to answer the question, it's a rhetorical question, of course, do you think that the scriptures saith in vain? What's the answer to that? No, they don't say so in vain. It's a rhetorical question. <clears throat> this thought then continues in verse 6. Those who are insolent are full of vanity or proud or boastful or arrogant God, by his holy nature, resists. God resists that because he alone deserves all honor, all praise, and all worship. It's interesting, the contrast here between those who are proud and those who are humble. We see that in this passage in James and many others. Psalm 138.6 says, Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. But the proud... He knoweth afar off. In Proverbs twenty nine twenty three, it says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Jesus said in Luke 14, verse 11, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. All of these things, inordinate desires, indolent prayers, infectious attractions, insolent vanity, lead to discontentment. And discontentment leads to wars and fightings. So what's the solution? I'm glad God doesn't just stop there and say, you've got a lot of problems. He gives, you, gives us a solution too. Yay! I'm glad for that. After all, the Lord God desires for his people to be at peace and dwell together in unity. That's what God desires. Psalm 133 verses 1 and 2 say, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together 
in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head. The word therefore in verse 7, James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. The word therefore refers back to the main problem at hand, the discontentment and the wars and the fightings among believers. So James gives us solution number one. There's five of them. Submit yourselves to God. See that in verse 7? The word submit means a willing obedience for the sake of unity. God wants us in unity and to willingly obey him brings unity with us and him and us and each other. That's what God wants, is for us to submit to him. His will for us, he has given to us in writing, dear friend. Let's submit to him. He doesn't want us to be attracted to the things of the world. He doesn't want us to fight together. And he wants a very close relationship between him and us. Solution number two James gives us is resist the devil. Did you see that? (laughs) Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We can't rebuke the devil, but we can resist him. Hmm, What? For sure, he is out to attract you to the wrong things and away from God. He wants that for us. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. I'm going to go there. I can quote verse 8, but I want to read both. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, where it says that, this, that Peter wrote this, of course. And by the way, Peter faced all the stuff that we're talking about. Be sober, he said. Be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. That's how we resist him. Do you have faith in God that God is greater than the devil? Resist him with that faith. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. First, submit yourselves to God. Secondly, resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do you resist him? And have we been given the strength or the tools to resist him? Yeah. Read Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18 sometime. We have been given armor to resist him. And understand the meaning of that. Solution number three James gives us is in verse 8. Draw an eye to God, and he'll draw an eye to you. When we're facing inner turmoil or discontentment, (laughs) let's, of course... Submit ourselves to God and resist the devil, but draw an eye to God. Draw closer and closer to him. And I'll tell you what. He'll show you that that discontentment will dissolve. Draw an eye to God. Are you drawing near and near to your Savior through his word, through effective prayer, often, every day, through a close walk with him, draw an eye, dear Christian. God wants that, and he will draw an eye. He promises. Give him that, and, and 
if you will, prove it. Solution number four is cleanse your hands. Dr. Schrader used to have a poster on the back side of his office door. It was a life size of John Wayne with his pistol drawn pointing right at whoever is looking at the poster. With this, <laughs> with this verse attached to it. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. <laughs> and when someone would sit down in his office and start talking about their woes, he'd say, shut the door. <laughs> anyway, I thought it was funny. I don't know if you did. Cleanse your hands. First John 1 John 1.9 is something that we'll practice before we observe the Lord's Supper today. If we confess our sins, he promises to be faithful and just to f- forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess, repent, forsake your sin, and it will take away, it will dissolve that discontentment that's in you. The solution number five is purify your hearts. Not only in confessing sin, but also in your desires. God wants those things to be jettisoned or purged from our lives. Many Christians are double-minded. They want to follow God, and they also want things that maybe are not of God, of course, in recognition and fellowship with the world and friendship with those we shouldn't have us. God wants us to have a single heart. That's the idea here. Purify your hearts. Have a single heart with him. Or else there will be discontentment. But God does not want it that way for you. He doesn't want it for me either. And so he gives us these solutions. So you and I have seen again today the problems and their characteristics. And we've seen five solutions that God gives us to that. So what decision do you have to make? Heavenly Father, you know the hearts of everyone here present today, and there are reasons that many may be dealing with discontentment and struggles in their lives inwardly, and sometimes it comes out to do harm in our relationships with other people in this world or people in the church even. Father God, I ask you that you would Change us one by one as we submit to you, as we resist the devil, as we draw close to you, as we cleanse our hands and purify our hearts before you. Father God, I ask you that before we observe the Lord's Supper, we would be prepared by you to honor you as we observe this ordinance. Father God, I ask you that if there's anyone in this room that needs to make a decision right now before you, that they would do so without delay, that they would either place saving faith in Jesus Christ as personal Savior who died for their sins, who was the substitute, and we see the picture in that, in the elements here at the table. He gave his body as a sacrifice in our place, as our substitute on Calvary's cross and shed his precious blood. And these elements that we'll partake of represent that. Father, thank you that you've made it possible for us to have a relationship with you, having our sins forgiven through faith in him who died for us and rose again, just as the Bible says. 
Father, I know that there are others too, likely, that are here that are struggling inwardly with one matter or another. Father God, I ask you that they would commit it to you, that they would submit to you, that they would draw close to you, and Heavenly Father, that you would draw close to them. Oh, Lord God, I ask you too that you would enable them to live in a way that pleases and honors you. For your honor and glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.